So as I mentioned before, uh, we're looking at core value number three, um, nurture, looking at the next generation. And I mentioned we'd be looking at Deuteronomy 6 especially. And before we just dive into Deuteronomy 6, you have to understand the, uh, the scope to really understand everything that is at stake for the words that Moses gives us in Deuteronomy 6. So to give you a history, uh, Deuteronomy is essentially uh, Moses' last will and testament to the Israelites. So what happened is they were oppressed in Egypt, then Pharaoh's uh, army was crushed by the Red Sea, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they're on the, the cusp of the Promised Land. They're right camped out by the Jordan River, about to take the Promised Land over and populate it and settle in it, the land promised to them God through Abraham and their ancestors and said, this is going to be your land. But for various reasons, Moses cannot go. He's not able to, to go and, and shepherd the people and guide them and lead them into the promised land. So he writes Deuteronomy, a farewell sermon, a farewell speech, if you will. And one of the big themes throughout the whole book of Deuteronomy is remember. Remember, remember God. Remember his love, remember his faithfulness, remember his commands, his word. Remember so that you can teach them. Next generation and their kids after that, right? Because what he's saying right here, especially in Deuteronomy 6, is parents, listen up and listen well. Your, your biggest job is not just to keep your kids alive and not just to raise them as functional citizens of society. Your biggest job is to get them not just having a good life here, but get them into the life there. Heaven. That's your, that's your biggest role, to teach them. Because if you don't teach them, understand someone else will. If you're about to go into the promised land, you're about to cross the river, and there are nations, there are cultures, there are religions that are all over there, and, it, and if you don't teach them, they will. If you don't guide them down a path of righteousness and goodness and, and, and teach them how God's word is for their blessing, then they'll guide them down a path of selfishness and indulgence, a path that takes them further and further and further away from me. And unfortunately, the latter, that, is exactly what happened. Uh, you get to the end of Deuteronomy, the next book is the book of Joshua. And what Joshua is all about is that Joshua was Moses' aide, and when Moses dies, Joshua takes up the leadership responsibility, and they go throughout the whole land of Israel. They conquer the land. And then at the end of Joshua comes the book of Judges. And Judges picks up right where Joshua ends, and there's this, this startling passage right in the second chapter, right in the beginning of the book of Judges, that tells us so much. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, Joshua and the people that Moses is talking to, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And if you keep reading in Judges, you see that it goes from bad, worse, to worser, to worser, <laughs> and it's just this downward spiral of things that are not good. And when you read a passage like this, it makes you ask, what happened? Like, how did they go from, from Moses' commands in Deuteronomy 6 to having a narrator tell us 
yeah, a whole generation grew up who didn't know God. And maybe there's some immaturity on part of this younger generation. Maybe there's a little bit of rebellion, isn't there, in every single generation. You get the answer that Scripture suggests, right? It was their parents. It was the generation before who did not carry out Moses' commands to train up the next generation. My question today that I want you to think about is how are we doing in 2022? The reason why this is one of our core values is because we recognize here, especially for Trinity, that this is an area of massive, massive importance. We're unique in the sense that we have this amazing pre-K all the way through high school 12 system, right? That so many of our parents decide to send their kids where the teachers don't just get to teach the subjects, but they get to teach God's word. Where so many people, even if they, they don't send their kids there, they still get to, to have their kids come and be, be taught by pastors and, and people who know God's word. And as tremendous of a blessing as that is, do you know what pastors and do you know what teachers and staff across the street and down the road are not a replacement for? Moms and dads. Like we, we cannot replace God's divine command for the parents to be the spiritual caretakers of the children. And so, as we dive into this today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the intricacies and the beauty of what it really means to be a Deuteronomy 6 mom, a Deuteronomy 6 dad, a Deuteronomy 6 parent. But before we dive in, there's one more caveat that I need to say. There may be some of you that are tempted to just say, Great, a sermon that does not apply to me at all. Now, time out. Hang on a second. I know that there's some people out there that maybe you're thinking, well, you're an empty nester. And my kids have already gone and out, and they're, they're out the door, and I don't have to worry about them. And I'd say, nonsense. Once a parent, always a parent, right? Once a parent, always a parent. You have so much influence. You have more authority. You have more influence in their lives than you may think you do. It is never too late. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I'm single. Or maybe I'm not planning on having kids, or I don't have kids. How does this apply to me? And what I would say is that, A, maybe God is preparing you for something later on, but B, even more than that, think of the example that you can be. I think of the example to another generation of what you can be, but also think of how much encouragement you can give to a mom, to a dad, to someone who is uh, called to be a Deuteronomy 6 parent, right? And then finally, I think of you, uh, you children. You're five years old, whether you're about to graduate high school as a, as a teenager, maybe you're thinking, great, okay, so this is just a sermon all about my parents, my mom, my dad, great, fantastic. Well, hey, here is your special ability that I give you guys. I give you permission to do this because I believe God gives you permission to do this. You get to hold your parents accountable. Now, I know there's a fourth commandment that says, honor your father and mother. Yes, and I think this is part of that. That if your parents are not doing this, then you get to say, Mom, Dad, I'm going to call you out. You're not being the Deuteronomy 6 parent, and we need to change that. And if they get upset, if they get mad, you tell them to come talk to me. I'll be happy to talk to them, okay? But you get to hold them to that, and I mean this. Because this is so, so vital for where we go as Christians. What does it mean to be a Deuteronomy 6 parent? We're going to break this up into three sections. 
Love God passionately, impress truths practically, and give testimony personally. Love God passionately, impress truths practically, give testimony personally. We're going to start with the first one, love God passionately. What does Moses say? He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And to everybody who's listening, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. I love what he says here because he says, where teaching starts is not with the students or the material, but it starts with you. It starts with your heart. And this has to be something that isn't just on your heart, but it is something that consumes your heart. You love it with all your heart, your, all your soul, all of your strength, right? I think if, if we would think of the best teachers that we have had in lives, the best coaches, the best mentors, the best teachers, the best examples of, of something, we would probably find some common traits, and I'll bet one of those common traits would be passion. And, and I'm not trying to say that there is one exact way that passion is displayed. I think there's multiple ways you can display passion, but, but passion, every good teacher has this. Because everybody can tell someone who's, who's passionate and who's not. You can see it, and you can also see it when it's not there. If you can tell the difference between someone who cares about something and is all in on it versus someone who's just kind of like, Ugh. You know, in the words of Marshawn Lynch, I'm here so I don't get fined, right? And <laughs> I'm just doing this for the sake of doing it, and I'm just here for a paycheck, putting my bare minimum in so I can just be done. And, and Moses says, are you passionate about it? Is this something that you love with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, God, his word, his love? You have to be passionate about it because you know who can tell? Your kids. They're smart. And, and everybody can tell when you have something and you care about it versus when it doesn't mean anything to you. Think about, do you know one of the biggest reasons why people from age 18 to 29 walk away from the church and walk away from their faith entirely? Like every year, there's more stats and there's more research, and, and it's not just one reason, but one common trend that keeps coming up again and again and again in the data is hypocrisy. Where a lot of these kids who grew up in the church, but it just kind of seemed like it was this hypocritical thing. You know, you were, you were told to do one thing, but you saw someone else do a whole different thing. And think of how that can show up in the home. And we go to church because church is important. It's very important. So we're here every single Sunday. But what about the rest of the Monday through Saturday? Like you, you're living a double life. Yeah, we're here on church on Sunday, and then the rest of the week, it doesn't do anything for me. It's like we're living a double life, and so is it important? Moms and dads telling their kids, hey, God's word, the Bible, church, you know, those, those are important things, absolutely. And then I think of maybe a family that comes maybe once a month. Or maybe a, a mom who comes and a dad who doesn't, or a dad who comes and a mom who, who doesn't, for whatever reason. What's the kid supposed to think? Okay, you say it's important, but you're doing this. How important is it? When you're saying that you're supposed to do something, but you're doing an entirely different thing, do you understand how your words start to lose influence and lose power in someone's life? I, I think about... This when it comes to confirmation. You know, so many people, so many parents, 
oh, hey, my kid is in seventh grade. Isn't that the magical number that we've chosen for confirmation? Yeah, okay, it is. Okay, so hey, my kids are already going to Illinois Lutheran. Great. So they're in confirmation, right? And kids, yes, confirmation is important. Yeah, it's totally important. Um, we never come. We hardly come. We hardly talk about the word at all. But yes, this is important. What is that kid supposed to think? Like, I teach these students. And I can see so many of them who are just there and wondering, I'm here because my parents tell me to. But it's not important. We're hardly here at all. We're hardly in the word at all. So I guess I'm just going to do this thing because my parents say it's important. But then you know what's going to happen? Why is it that not just Trinity, but so many pastors I talk to, why is it that sometimes well over 50% of confirmation classes, the kids walk away? Why should we be surprised when their parents are not passionate about it at all? They see it as a rite of passage. Isn't this just something we do? So when a, when a kid is up here and giving this confession of faith to say, yes, I am ready to be there for you and encourage you, but really I'm never going to see you again probably or maybe twice a year maybe. Like how, what are we doing? And why should we be surprised when they don't love this with their whole heart, their whole strength, their whole mind, when their parents don't either? What Moses is trying to say here is before you say a word to your kids about the value and importance of God's word in their lives, check your heart and make sure that you see the importance too. Because if, if this, if this, everything we do is going to be something that's kind of take it or leave it, moms and dads, well, yeah, it's, you know, it's important, but, you know, we want to do this this weekend, or well, Jesus isn't the biggest thing we got going on, you know, and we've got all these other things, responsibilities, and all these. Why are we shocked when every year we see generations of kids walking away from the church? If it's not important to you, your kids can tell which means if it is important to you, your kids can tell. And I think of the blessing of so many parents who take this as the most important thing and understand, like teenagers, no offense, <laughs> like we've all been there, uh, there's some immaturity there, I get it. But parents who say, you know, it still doesn't matter, I'm still going to teach you this. I'm still going to tell you that this is the most important thing and you want to see a kid know the Lord and stay in his path, I can almost guarantee you, and the data supports it, you can trace it back to their parents and how much their parents value it. Love God passionately. Moses says, love God passionately. Our second point today, impress truths practically. What do we mean here? Well, here's what Moses says after this. He says, impress them on your children. Now I want to pause there. I'm going to leave that word up there. Impress them on your children. Impress them, like, like stamp it in there. Make an impression on your kids because children are impressionable. Like I'm reminded of this every single day when I go home and have my little ones just running around and making a madhouse, right? But children are impressionable. The first time this really sank in, 2017, I remember where I was. I remember exactly what was going on. It was in Nebraska. I had a terrible sore throat. 
Logan was two years old at the time, and so I go over to the sink and I do the gargling of salt water. You ever done that before? It's disgusting, it's nasty, but it's supposed to help, right? And so I do it and I gargle until I can't take it anymore, and then I spit it out at the sink. All the while, Logan's watching. Do you know what he did for the rest of that day? He went all around the living room, upstairs, downstairs, and every time he saw me, he's just <laughs> And then luckily, thank, thankfully, he didn't spit all over the carpet or anything like that, but, but why? Because he's a sponge. He's, he's learning by imitation. That's what little kids do, right? Parents, you, you get this, right? Everybody gets this. This is the reason why, by the way, some of you older siblings, you're so annoyed by your younger siblings because all they want to do is follow you around, and, and you're just like, go away. They're learning. They just, this is why my Tristan hates my Sawyer right now. He's just so, that, that's how they learn, right? And also, like parents, if you've ever heard your kids say maybe a not-so-sanctified phrase, where did they hear that from? There's only a few options that they could have heard that from, right? This is what kids do. They learn, they're impressionable, Moses says. Kill, children are impressionable, not just little kids, teenagers too. Children are impressionable. So what better opportunity to talk about God's word practically? And this is what he says. He says, talk about them, God's word, God's command. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, on your foreheads, Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. He's not literally saying, okay, we're sitting, so I'm supposed to talk. We're walking down the road, so I'm supposed to. What he's saying is these are the regular rhythms of your life, the routines of your life. So talk about it. Make this just a regular part of your life. Because if this is something that is transformative, and I think we would agree it is, then don't compartmentalize faith conversations to just a one-time-during-the-week thing. Do you understand how odd it would be if the only time you have faith conversations at all is on a Sunday? Like, that, that is basically the equivalent of taking your kids to a foreign country for a day, and you and them and everybody else, everybody else is talking this foreign language, and you as a kid, you're just like, I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea what's being said. And then mom and dad take you all the way back to the States. Not only are they not going to pick up anything, but can we blame them if later on in life they show no interest in carrying it on whatsoever? Moses says, don't compartmentalize this. Make this a regular routine. Put this into your life on a regular, habitual basis. Because just like a foreign language then, and the kids are immersed in it, and they hear it, they pick up on it, right? Same with this. So my question is, do you do this? Is this just a regular ritual, routine kind of thing that, that you're able to do in your rhythms of life? One year, I asked my confirmation students, agree or disagree, the only time I hear or have faith conversations is doing catechism homework in a Christian school or at church. You know what the answers were? Well over 50% of the kids said agree. In other words, there is no sin conversation, there's no Jesus conversation, there's no faith conversation going on at all in the home. And I thought to myself, how can this be? And having talked to so many parents over the years, I think one of the biggest reasons why that is is because we buy into the let the expert handle it mentality. You know what that is? Tax season comes around starting January all the way to my birthday, okay? 
And so that time, maybe you don't want to do your taxes because maybe you've got all these different things and these forms and schedules and, okay, you know what? Let the expert handle it. Write a check, hand your forms to someone else, and let the expert handle it, right? Your car, steam's coming up from the hood, making a funny noise, and you open the hood, and you don't know the difference between a strut and a tie rod end and a transmission and an engine. You don't know anything, so what do you do? You, you hand it to the mechanic and say, it's doing this thing, it's making this womp womp noise, let the expert handle it. Retirement, investing, Maybe you know something about IRAs and Roths, but when it comes to the actual investing side of things and the stocks and the funds and the and new, let the expert handle it. Give a financial advisor, you let the expert handle it. When it comes to teaching your kids, well, you don't have the capacity nor all the knowledge to teach them all the subjects, so you send them to school and you let the teachers, let the experts handle it. All good things. So then when it comes to God's word, naturally we think, well, okay, let the experts handle it. Pastor, I'm bringing my kid. And pastor, you get to teach him. And pastor, you got him for two years in this catechism class, right? And pastor or teachers, you guys have them. What I would say is it doesn't work that way. Because, again, pastors and teachers are not a replacement for, for God's divine command for the parents to be the spiritual caretakers. We are not with your kids in the regular rhythms of their life. We're not there when they sit up, when they lie down, when you walk along the road, when you travel. We're not there. You have the influence. So use it. Teach them. And a lot of times when I remind parents of their their God-given call, it's a little bit of a panic that sets in. Like, I'm not, I don't know this stuff. I'm not an expert in it. Well, A, you don't need to. B, what sense does it make to teach your kids this thing when you yourself don't know it? And C, you do know. Or at least you have the resources. You know, there's this beautiful thing we call a catechism. I told you it's Reformation Sunday. I gotta throw Luther in here, so here's how I'm throwing it in, right? Luther wrote this book that we have. In 1517, one of the biggest blessings that came out of the Reformation was this. I'll give you a little history of why I'm even talking about this book. When Luther translated the Bible into the vernacular, he also understood that his people were really uneducated about the Bible. And as we heard uh, last week, the Bible's a big book and it's kind of a confusing book. And if the parents aren't really sure where to even start, then how could they possibly teach the kids? So what he did is said, not only can I not teach all the kids, that's not my role. Deuteronomy 6 makes it clear, this is mom and dad's role. So he made this. Kind of an index, if you will, of teachings, basic teachings for the church, for the faith, but also passages that that support it. Exclamations, and where does this come from? Martin Luther, no, it, it comes from the Bible. Here's what the Bible says on it. And he said, dads, especially, here you go. Teach your kids. And use this to, to train them in the instruction of the Lord. And I know you have them. Like maybe it's sitting on your shelf. Or maybe, maybe it's buried. Maybe it's gone somewhere. If you need one, come talk to me. And if some of you are thinking, I have no idea what this book is. I've never seen this book. If you joined our church for the starting point class, you had this on steroids. <laughs> and that means you got the notes. And we don't just teach you these things so you can just set it somewhere and never use it again. This is for your life. Pull them out if you need to use it as a resource, but my goodness, use it. Teach your kids. 
Now, I understand that a message like this can be incredibly humbling to hear. It can make you feel like you're the lousiest parent in the world. I know that because God's been kind of showing me that this whole week. And I've talked to no shortage of parents where the conversation turns to confession, turns to crying. Parents who just wish they could go back and do it all over again differently. Parents who lament how they didn't have this as a culture in their home, and are frustrated when their kids are going down a path that is not what God has in mind, and, and they feel terrible. And if you're feeling like that at all, and I want you to remember what I remind all of those parents in those conversations, I want you to remember the main message that you're teaching your children the gospel. Don't forget it. Don't just teach it, but apply it to yourself too. But you and I have a heavenly parent. We call him our father. God our father knew that as earthly fathers and as earthly mothers, we'd fail. Sometimes we'd fail epically and miserably. This is why he didn't fail which is why he so sent his son so that all those failures, all those times, you just, whatever guilt is there in your heart, he took it onto himself. Jesus Christ paid for that. God punished him so he wouldn't punish you. But more than that, it's not just a mechanical thing. Guys, this is grace. This is God saying to you, I did this. I sacrificed my own child so I can look at you and say, in spite of your failures, I don't see it. All I see is my son, my daughter, my child because of Jesus Christ. And when you wrestle with that, when you get that grace, God did it so he could impress on it, on your heart so much that you would then see why he says, to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Why to love him passionately? Because when you've wrestled with that grace, when you've actually gone through the humility of the sin staring at you in the face and the grace that just washes over all of it, now you are equipped better than ever before to give a personal testimony to your kids. And that's the last point we're going to talk about today. Give testimony personally. Now, it's not right here in the first nine verses of Deuteronomy, but just a couple verses later on, this is what he says in the same chapter. In the immediate context, he's talking to the parents, the people listening, and he says, in the future, when your son asks you, what's the meaning of the stipulations, the decrees, the laws, the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs, wonders great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household, right? Every kid's going to ask the question, why are we doing this? What are we doing this for? And he says, tell them the story of your oppression. Tell them the story of God sending the plagues. Tell them the story of God parting the Red Seas. Tell them the story of God's grace and salvation. 
But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all the laws of the Lord our God as he commands us, that will be our righteousness. Do you get what he's saying? He says, guys, make it personal. Tell them your story of grace. Tell them your story of what God has done to you, all of his goodness. Do you get what this means for you and I today? Tell your kids, be transparent. Open up about your weaknesses and struggles, your sin, and tell them about God's grace. Make this real. Sometimes I think we just overcomplicate it and think like, well, okay, I'm supposed to have this devotion at this time after dinner, and we didn't have time, or I'm supposed to do this thing in this way. (sighs) Be normal about it. Just make it a part of your life and just tell your kids that this is a regular thing that you talk about. I've been blessed to have mentors and people in my life who taught me that as I was having kids, hey, think of how you can put God's word in your discipline, and we have been so blessed to be able to do that. That every time my kids sin, and you know the level of sin that I say, okay, time out. (laughs) Later on, I go talk to them. I don't just talk to them about their sin. Do you know what I say to them? You know I love you. And I forgive you. Because God forgives you. And you know what's so great is when they go and tell their other brother, sorry, you know what the other one says? I forgive you. We're intentional about that. Because we're working in God's grace. And you know what I, I often say to my kids sometimes when they mess up? Hey, you got angry. I do that all the time. (laughs) And you got it from me. (laughs) We need to help each other out. And you know what I also do to my kids? Often, usually in the morning before we get to school, as we leave the driveway, I say, I'm sorry. Shouldn't have been yelling. I wasn't being a good dad to you. Can you guys forgive me? Yes, dad. Talk about it. Make it natural. Open up. Be transparent. Maybe what this means is that on your way home today, here's your homework. Have a conversation in the car. Start making this a normal thing. Wow. Kids, I'm sorry. I failed you. Hey, how do you think we could do this better? Just talk about it. Make it natural. It's going to be weird. It's going to be awkward if you've never done it, but guess what? It's not weird or awkward when you keep doing it. Make this a natural, regular, routine thing and and just be transparent about your heart, sin, God's grace. Make it personal because it'll make an impact. The experts can can do a lot of teaching. I can do a lot of teaching. I am not there every moment for your kids. I do not have the influence that you have. You guys have an incredible opportunity right before you, your own flesh and blood, even if they're out of the house, to teach them, and to get them with God. Reminds me of what someone said to me about a week or two ago, and the person is smiling at me and right here in this room. When he asked me what I was preaching on coming up, and I told him about this series, and I told him about this sermon, and I told him about this word, told him about some of the things I was thinking about, and he says, you know, they often say that when you die, when you leave this world, there's nothing, you can't take anything with you when you go. 
But he says, it's not entirely true. And I said, oh yeah, what's that? And he said, you can take your children. You know what I say to that? <laughs> 